The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Oh, as kind of experience to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So I want I want to, but if I over discipline, then I'm like really rigid mm-hmm. and over controlling, and then I become very um, self judgmental when I can't stay with the breath. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not, I'm, this is coming up just today for me, but I've, I've been meditating for many, many years, and I'm wondering, what is the answer to that? Okay, what's the answer? Can anybody relate to that? Yeah, okay. You're not, yeah. That's a, you know, I think the Buddha gave more discourses on right effort than anything else. So that's not an accident. You know, it's a really kind of important question. Um, and I think this is something that, you know, we're kind of learning. Even if we've been practicing for a while, we're learning something that's really unusual for us, which is a kind of letting go or letting be. Letting go of control, letting go of managing, letting go of manipulating. But that still has a wakefulness in it. You know? So usually when we let go, we let go every night, right? We let go of the world and we fall asleep. That's really good letting go, you know? Uh, but that's a letting go into sleep. <laughs> you know? So we're, we know how to do that kind of letting go, you know, where you sit down on the couch and you put on the TV and it's kind of, we let go like that, you know? It is a kind of letting go. But we're practicing a, a different letting go, which is really kind of subtle. You know, it's sort of learning how to be really relaxed and without controlling and without doing, and sort of, uh, I'm sort of acting it out a little bit. So like letting there still be awareness there, you know? So actually, so, you know, this is something I talk about a lot, but awareness is always, we always have some awareness present, right? Um, even when you're sleeping. I was, gave that example earlier about driving. You can be driving and not be very aware, but there's still some awareness because you don't drive off the road, hopefully. You know? uh, even if you did drive off the road, there's still awareness paying attention to something like you're thinking. So in a way, the effort required for meditation is the effort to real, recognize that we're aware already. You know? So it's like you could just, you could even like lay back and get totally relaxed, you know, and you say, okay, am I aware of this? You could just ask that kind of question. Just to play with that thing, it's like, okay, what would it be like to just let go in that way? And you just see like, oh yeah, awareness, I can be awake to this. You know? So it's an interesting thing about awareness is it's actually, that's kind of the work of meditation is how do we just recognize that awareness is already here functioning. And that's a very small move. You know, it's not a big move. It's not a big effort. Uh, And we're not used to making such subtle movements. You know, we're used to throwing things around and making a, you know, having an impact and getting things done. And that's just, that's like we overshoot the mark a lot when it comes to meditating. So partly it's just, you know, 
we make too much effort all the time while we're practicing, and then we kind of get a little tired out from making so much effort, or we get bound up, and eventually we kind of, all that suffering <laughs> leads us to sort of soften a little bit, and then we experience these moments where, of just not trying so hard. Sometimes people experience it after the bell rings. You know, you're sitting, and you're working, and trying, so the bell rings, and you think, ah. Oh. <laughs> and you have like a moment of real meditation, you know? <laughs> That's like a good hint, you know? It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> so anyway, it's really rich territory to play in. And the Buddha... It's very uh, subtle and very, you know, like you could spend your whole life practicing with just that. You can. And that would be really useful. Yeah. You know, you would... Um, <clears throat> I heard somebody use this m- metaphor, and I really liked it. They said that... Uh, I can't remember whether... I think it was the space shuttle, or maybe it was the the Concorde jet, I can't remember, but it's something like it's off course 98% of the time, (laughs) but it's always making these little micro adjustments and still arrives at the destination. So you don't need to be like on course. It's not like doing it right. That's what creates this kind of tension, you know, but yeah, it's different, you know, being relaxed and alert. And a good place to play with this is when you're feeling really sleepy in meditation. You know? So rather than try to wake yourself up, which we do a lot, you could just play with letting yourself fall asleep. But see if you can get really interested in that process so, so that you're watching yourself. <laughs> fall asleep. And that's weird because you can watch yourself fall asleep. You've done it, yeah. So, so that, it's just, it's just, so you're playing with that. What's that awareness, you know? And then how do we just recognize that, okay, awareness is present already. We don't need to fabricate it or make it or create it, which is a lot of efforting. You know, I've got to become aware or I'm going to get to awareness to this far off place. What more, hap- more often happens is, oh shit, I'm falling asleep. I'm not really meditating. I'm not really doing it. Okay. Yeah, so falling asleep is a condition of nature. Uh, It's fine. You you won't get a detention. (laughs) But but here's the thing. So when you're falling asleep, see if you can get interested in sleepiness. That little bit of interest. Interest is a really powerful awakening factor. So if you can get interested in sleepiness, you can p- start playing with that edge of wakefulness that's not the opposite of sleep or sleepiness. Because we're going to get sleepy, you know? Sometimes our minds are going to be foggy. Sometimes they'll be clear. Sometimes they'll be... But what is this awareness that can, that's present throughout all of these changing conditions of mind? If we're always trying to be feeling awake, that kind of energized, clear... We like that state, you know, like, oh, if we're always trying to be that, it's weird. It has this tension in it. You know, you're trying to take nature and make it something else. Always, I'll make it sunny all the time. It'll never be cloudy. Try doing that in San Francisco. (laughs) You drive yourself crazy, you know. So, 
it's really we're playing with this, what is this wakefulness that can be present throughout all of the different changing conditions of mind and body? Uh, yeah, so uh, it's very worthy territory. And, you know, it's, I don't think we ever get done playing with this effort. You know, sometimes you'll feel like you're making too much effort. You're trying too hard. And then feel that tension, you know, and then just let yourself just begin to relax a little around it. Sometimes you feel like you're just totally spacing out. And then you might say, oh, can I bring a little more interest, you know? Is that helpful? Yes, thank you very much. Okay, welcome. Uh, there. And then there. Oh, did you have a question? No. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of on the same line um, as what she was asking. I like to run on trails and I'll swim too. And mm-hmm. um, to me, when I'm doing that, I, I, I like to be present and, and uh, focus on now. It's much better than having your mind spinning around. But, um, but I guess I'm a little bit curious if... You know, in an effort to try to be more mindful, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, but I guess I, I, I don't know, like, it, to me it seems plenty good to just be kind of present for the moment and to hear the birds and to do all of that mm-hmm. stuff. And on the other hand, I, I, I've, I've gotten instruction that I need to try to just, like, focus on my footsteps or something like that and not and not be aware. So I'm curious, like today when we were meditating, I was meditating outdoors and I, we were doing walking meditation and, and, and oh, it was nice to hear the sounds of people, like, oh, this mm-hmm. is the sounds of people. And because usually I appreciate the sounds of nature a lot more than the sounds of people, so it was nice to, to feel that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think my question is about distraction. Distraction? Yeah. Is like listening to things in the moment, is that like a level of distraction that is destructive to the meditation process? That sounds ominous. Yeah. <laughs> hey, no, I, I have a question for you though. When you said, like, uh, you know, you described being mind, kind of being aware when you're running and all these things, and it sounded very alive. Yeah. And then you said, and then I know I should be mindful. And <laughs> you kind of, your voice <laughs> had this kind of thing. What's that about? What? <laughs> I, I What's think, happening there? I, I guess it's being judge, you know, judging. And, uh, um, uh, but I did really receive instruction to, when I was explaining this, you know, to, to try to, to, to zero out the pleasure part. <laughs> Sign me up for that course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Notice where I'm not today. So. <laughs> but, uh, 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 yeah, but, but I guess I just wonder, you know, is, I do take pleasure in that. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and is that, you know, like in, in the course of the day, I think we'll be talking about clinging. So, mm-hmm. so is, is, you know, like... Is needing to have that kind of a scene, you know, to feel in a meditative state or spiritual or something? Is that mm-hmm. is that clinging? So you know, I am not sure that that there's really a problem, you know, here. In a way, you know, it's great to do things you enjoy, 
you know, you love running, and you're, so you're out there running, and it sounds like you're very present and alive and experiencing things and in the moment, and that's wonderful, you know? And it's not that you, I, at least my understanding of the practice, not that you shouldn't do that. That's great. You know, it's, it's, it's more that we can't always be running, you know? Like, we can't always be out there in the beautiful place in the weather running, which you love to do. So then, it's also useful to cultivate this kind of capacity to be present and awake and alive in a similar way, you know, with whatever's happening, even if it's ordinary, you know, even if it's just the ups and downs of daily relationship, you know, or work, so that there can be this kind of freedom and aliveness and ease in the middle of this, what we call ordinary, you know. So I wouldn't make such a distinction. It's not like you should be out in nature just focusing on the bottom of your feet, you know, (laughs) and blocking out all this beauty. No, you know, this beauty is arising in awareness. So that's, you know, you can be aware of that, you know, feeling, you know, helps to stay somewhat connected to your body, but I'm sure you are anyway, you know, and then you're aware of the seeing and the hearing, all this, you know. And so is that clinging, you know? You know, sometimes we get a little kind of pleasure-phobic when we hear Buddhist teachings. (laughs) (laughs) Like we're afraid if we experience pleasure, we'll be clinging. That's, That's bad, clinging's bad. You know, so I, I've just got to curtail my pleasure intake, you know. But, but I don't think, you know, it's the cling... I'm going to talk about this later in the talk. Clinging and pleasure are two different things. You can experience pleasure and have it be pleasurable. And then clinging has a certain quality, grasping onto it. It makes the pleasure less pleasurable because <laughs> then we get uptight and tense around it and we want it to last or not to go away or... But you can just be in the pleasant experience. It's pleasant to be outside. Beautiful. Sometimes that pleasure can be an aid to being present. I mean, when it's pleasurable, you kind of want to be present more, right? <laughs> so I wouldn't even make these, these hard and fast distinctions. But there is a benefit, I think, of also practicing where it's not pleasurable. Because those are the places usually we don't know how to have balance, you know. And sitting's great for that because it's uncomfortable. Not all the time, but yeah, we have a lot of unpleasant sensation if you sit long enough. So how do we be with that? You know, because when we don't have to be run around by unpleasant feelings, when we can actually be with them in a balanced way without tripping out or identifying with them, uh, it's a very peaceful way to be because then... You don't have to, you know, you're not spending your whole day planning your run because that's the only pleasure, you know, that's the only peace, yeah? Is that helpful? Yes, it was. I know I'm going on and on, but... <laughs> no, thank you. You quite a lot. Okay, right. You know, maybe there's somebody right behind you, but over in the back was first. I think, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Is that mic on? If it, there's a button on the side. Yeah. 
Okay. Thank you. So it's related to this, I think, and what I've experienced here and um, meditating before that when we try to, when we see those thoughts, we identify them as thoughts and they're bad things that we think during the meditation and it's... What are are bad things? Well, whatever things that are negative that we don't feel good about. Um, So we identify those, we pull back, we go to this grounded place where we feel the breath. Then something good, something pleasant happens. We do the same thing. We try to pull back so we don't have thoughts, right? We We just see that something that's there always regardless of what's happening to us. So that kind of grounded state... But then, first of all, it's, it's, it's hard to, to not cling to things that are pleasurable. So, you know, it, then the question is, like, why should I not be trying to feel that? Why should I mm-hmm. try to pull back and mm. feel? And then when okay. I do pull back, it's like some kind of, it's emptiness. It's like, well, now what? W- right. What good is that? Right. So, so I think, yeah, just to refine maybe a little bit, so, you know, when we, we're not pulling back, you know, uh, and thinking is not bad. So this is important. So it's, the instruction is really not to like you're having some experience and then you pull back from it. Yeah. In the beginning, we're sort of focusing on the breathing a lot. And if something else pulls our attention, we come back. It's not because those things are bad or not important. It's because in the beginning of practice, we're trying to steady the mind on one, on a simpler object, which is the breathing. But we do that just to kind of get here and get out of the totally caught up state that we're normally in. You know, like just, you know, and being thrown around by it. Sometimes I think of it as like, a, like being, you know, like stuck in a tornado, you know, you're spinning around. So as we come back to the breathing over and over again, we start to get some steadiness in the present. But then the instruction is to, something's arising, some state, to be with it. Not to pull back from it. So say you're experiencing pleasant feelings in your body. The instruction is to feel them. To experience them unfolding. Notice them moving and changing. You don't have to pull back to anywhere. In a way, we're connecting with what's happening. Yeah? That might be an unpleasant feelings in your body. And so then the instruction is to be present with that. You know, pain in your knee, moving and changing. But today we were, because those things kind of generate thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. And as soon as those come, we're trying to go back to breathing. Okay. And then it goes away. The feeling goes away. <laughs> okay, very good. So, as I said, again, in the beginning... It's hard to be mindful of thinking because thoughts are so fast, you know. Even after a while, it's still hard to be aware of thinking. You know, thoughts are subtle and they're fleeting and they're, they move quickly. But part of this developing the steadiness of attention is so that, and I gave this instruction earlier, when thoughts are arising, don't pull back. See if you can watch them, Yeah. You know, and of course you have a certain thought like, I'm a terrible meditator. <laughs> and then you have a feeling, right? Oh, you know, you feel bad. You feel like you want to get out of here, you know? And 
So that's a feeling that's conditioned by a thought. So you may, do, you may, while you're practicing, notice a thought and then this feeling, and then you're being with the feeling for a little bit. And when you're being with the feeling, you may notice that the thought is no longer present. And then maybe the feeling goes away because you're not reinforcing that idea. You're a bad meditator. So that's insight. Yeah. But you may also have a series of thoughts like about you know, what happened yesterday with so-and-so, and then they said this, and why did they do this? And, you know, and that's something that actually, keeping the breath in the background, you can watch like a movie unfold. You can listen to the dialogue, you know? And you might note hearing, hearing, seeing, seeing. And part of this is so that we can start to, rather than being afraid of this thinking show, thinking's great. I mean, frankly, if we didn't have thinking, we couldn't do anything. We'd be a bunch of vegetables, <laughs> you know? So, but what we're practicing is becoming aware of the thinking process to the extent that we are no longer ruled by it. You can see a thought arise and you have some choice over whether you believe it or not. Usually we're just believing them. I'm a bad meditator. No, I'm a great meditator. You know, five minutes later. Or, you know, I'm a... Whatever stories, and sometimes these stories are very deeply held about who and what we are. So... Really, the, the instruction is not to pull away from anything, but just to be aware of it as process unfolding. Thank you. Very helpful. Yeah. Any, anything else around that? Or? Um, no, that was helpful. Thank okay, you. good. Uh, in the back, I just... Um, with the uh, this morning, is this on? Yeah. Uh, this morning I found myself, I'd arrived, I was a little sleepier than I usually am when I get here at 9.30, and I tried as this experiment taking 10 breaths where I'd be very focused and disciplined and force myself mm-hmm. not to think about anything, and then take maybe 15 or 20 where I just let everything go, mm-hmm. and then back and forth. It was, it was like flexing the fist and then just stretching it out. Uh-huh. And then I finally, after doing that three times, <coughs> just kind of <coughs> settled into this unconscious a rhythm. I think I was doing this as a compensation for the fact that I knew I was sleepy. Uh-huh. Uh, and it kind of sort of... Uh, well, it, I, haven't, I haven't decided what I think about this, and maybe I don't need to have a, a, an opinion about it, but uh, it was... Uh, just an experiment I tried mm-hmm. today. I mean, you know, just I think that um, that kind of attitude of experimenting yeah. is useful. Okay. You know, so it's like you're you're playing with your own experience to see kind of what's happening there, and I think that's a useful attitude in practice. You know. I mean, if all the time you're sort of creating things to play with or because you're bored, (laughs) that might not be that skillful, you know, just creating little things to do. But but this sounds like you're skillfully playing with, well, how do I work with being, with sleepiness? Yeah. I was also being a little more, I've I've learned a while ago not to be judgmental about my meditation, Uh, you know, not to be evaluative about it. Really? You learned that? Well, I think I finally, (laughs) after 10, after 10 years. (laughs) Okay, but on the other hand, I arrived this morning realizing that I had packed, prepared and packed a sack lunch and then left it at home. Uh, And so I did find myself getting judgmental with myself once again. Uh 
so yeah, I've learned not to be judgmental about meditation, but then I was being very judgmental about the fact that I prepared a lunch and then left it at home. <laughs> so you, you get caught, you can get caught in some kind of judgmentalness no matter what you do. Well, see, and that's what's useful about being judgmental about your meditation practice, <laughs> is that you actually start to learn something about the mechanism of judgment, you know? Because just like that question earlier about thinking, you know, if we had to get rid of judgment in order, before we felt free from judgment, I mean, we'd have a long haul, you know? But in a way, just seeing how judgments arise and how they determine a, real, a momentary reality, you know, they create a reality for a time. And having the chance to see that over and over again and how it creates an experience of yourself for a time and then it's over and something else happens, that's really valuable. So if you're seeing it around your lunch or you're seeing it around your breath, it kind of doesn't matter. But just that seeing is really important because judgments, it's true of thoughts. You know, thoughts are so unbelievably insubstantial. Like, we don't really see them clearly because they're flitting so fast, so they have this incredible power. But when we actually see a thought face-to-face, as it were, it's like nothing. And it's... You know, I, and I think of it this way, it's almost like embarrassing that we believe them ever. <laughs> but we do, because it's really kind of like, they're just, they're like, the, they create, they're like magicians. It's like a magic show. So it's really useful to get familiar with thought, and as experientially, you know, and to see over and over again throughout the course of a day how many different ways you experience yourself, how many different realities you inhabit based on what you happen to be thinking in the moment. You know? And usually it's some thought about what you're experiencing and how you either shouldn't be experiencing it or what it means about you. It's amazing, the power. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty new to this. Um, can you talk a little bit about mindfulness versus... Is that on? Can you talk a little bit about mindfulness versus concentration versus doing nothing? I mean, you touched upon it a little bit, but I'm still not like very... So tell, tell us, you know, if you don't mind, like, well, what do you make of those differences? It's not a test. I, I don't want to put if and if I'm putting it on the spot, it's not important. But just curious. I kind of find it hard to distinguish between mindfulness and concentration. Yeah. But I think I know the difference between that and doing nothing. Great. Okay. Doing nothing seems to be just like like you, I think it's clear. Like what you said, like spaced out in front of a TV is more right. like doing nothing. Right. But the first two is like. Yeah. You know, mindfulness and concentration, it's, how is it, how is it tripping you up, practice-wise, that question? Like, is it a problem in your practice, really? I honestly don't know. (laughs) I don't know, yeah. Okay, so I think it might not be. I'm just guessing, you know, but... 
Sometimes we want to make this hard and fast distinction between mindfulness and concentration. And I'll just say personally, you know, I'm not speaking for the Buddha here, because... Yeah. <laughs> we don't do that in Buddhism, so it's okay, you know? It's not like... <laughs> but, uh... I don't make that kind of hard and fast distinction. You know, mindfulness and concentration are really come together. You can't really have mindfulness. I guess you could have really momentary mindfulness, but if you sustain mindfulness for a couple moments, you're developing concentration, you know? And if you're paying attention to your breathing, for example, which some people might call a concentration practice, you have to be mindful in order to do that. So I wouldn't even, you know, I wouldn't even kind of, I think the only place where, you know, it could even make a difference is if you're doing kind of like absorption practice where you're, you know, this is sort of a whole series of practices where you kind of, your mind gets totally absorbed in some object of meditation. And often, some, sometimes then there's a little less mindfulness present, you know, that kind of vivid awareness that's, you might lose sense of hearing or external objects, but still there's some awareness present, some mindfulness present. So um, I think as long as you're paying attention, uh, both are being cultivated. Yeah? And they really go together and they strengthen each other. It's almost hard to separate them. Like I'm having, I have a hard time experientially separating them. Yeah. Oh, can we just pass you the mic just so that we can hear? Uh, it's right there, yeah. It was it was seemed to me that you know when you talk about concentration, it's more about focusing on one thing, and there's a lot more effort involved. But mindfulness is feels more to me like you are stepping back and you're just being aware, and so it, it's more all encompassing. You know, you, you don't just focusing on one thing. But you know that, I mean. That's an, I think that's an okay distinction, but, it's, but really when you're, even if you're focusing on one thing, that's a kind of directed mindfulness, you know? Uh, even if you're just focusing on your breathing, uh, you could be noticing the subtle changes in the sensation in your breath. Now, so that's mindfulness, you know? That's a, a kind of a directed mindfulness. And you can have a more kind of inclusive or spacious or choiceless awareness. Uh, and it's just interesting to notice that there can be these different modes. So, um, and even concentration, when we call, talk about concentration practice, it doesn't have to involve an effort. In a way, the most really deep concentration practice is about letting go. You know, letting go of, it's hard to describe. It's kind of, you're sort of letting go into the moment. The mind gets more and more quiet. So, I wouldn't even make that distinction, actually, that if you're just, you know, really minutely aware of the sensations of your breathing, that's still mindfulness, just a directed mindfulness. Okay, just so I think I understand you correctly from your earlier point, this has been confusing me as well as a lot of other people probably. So the difference between telling stories when you're meditating 
difference between that versus being aware of yourself telling stories mm -hmm. is the real difference. It's not like you're not supposed to tell stories, but if you're aware of it, then you have a choice. Beautiful. Okay. So, beautiful. So, it's, a, it's that subtle difference between being lost in a memory and being aware that a memory is happening. Yeah, you can be mindful that a memory is happening. Beautiful. That, okay. That's a key distinction. Yeah. So, what... What I've been noticing um, in myself today is when I'm meditating, I have a kind of a helpful voice in there that may be echoing something that you've said, mm -hmm. like inside looking out. Uh -huh. um, I find that on the one hand, very helpful and useful. On the other hand, it kind of gets in the way of my direct experience. So. Mm -hmm. I'm just sort of noticing that and wondering if you could comment. Yeah, I think that's a very common experience, you know, and um, I also don't think it's a problem. Yeah. Um, in a way, that's a very helpful voice. You could call it the voice of the teachings or the, the voice of the method, you know, and um, and I... I used to study with this Chan teacher in New York. He was from Taiwan. Uh, and I remember him saying, uh, you hold on to the method until uh, there's no method left. You know? <laughs> and uh, so this is kind of the method. They're thoughts about the method, about the practice, about what you're doing. And they sort of are guiding you as you're practicing. It's wonderful. You've internalized the teachings. And I think they only get in the way if you get bothered by them, you know? You could be in the background, like, you know, like if I say, just become aware of the visual field. That doesn't have to be an obstacle. It's almost like a pointer, you know? And then you become aware of the visual field. But if you're super focused on my voice and me, then it, you're not aware of what it's pointing to, you know? So I think those can be really, you know, they're like Dharma thoughts, you know? And they're... They're very useful, I think, generally. But just let them be in the background. You, know, you don't need to focus on them or try to get rid of them. Uh, and just pay attention to what they're pointing to. Like, that sounded like a useful kind of thing. It just comes to your mind and points for you. I think it's a good sign. Yeah. Um, about here and there and here. Um, I think and work a lot, and my and um, you think at work a lot or and work both. A lot? I think and work a lot, work if not always. <laughs> and um, sometimes my thoughts get very tied up. Uh -huh. um, and what I experienced today was uh, um, some clarity. Mm -hmm. But when we're sitting for hours at end, I found myself very clingy to the clarity that I've been looking for on certain things. Mm -hmm. And I want to either write them down or repeat them ten times. <laughs> and at the end of it, mm -hmm. they might not be there anymore. Right. So, Meaning you have kind of like insight about situations in your life. Yeah, what are concerned. priorities? Yeah. What are some <clears throat> ideas to develop? You know, um, it's one of the sort of... It's not the purpose of meditation to have the... But it's a really nice like side effect. 
You know, it's kind of when the mind is, there's some space in the mind where we're not just caught up in the habitual tied up thinking. There's room for all this wisdom which we have to kind of come out. Perspective and insights about what we should do or what's right to do or seeing a situation differently. Uh, and that can be really wonderful. You know, it's sort of a part of the fruits of a quiet mind. You know, um, but then in practice, you know, when you're meditating and stuff, it, it can be tempting to say, I'm just going to write down all of my insights, <laughs> all these things I realize about my life so that afterwards I can... And, you know, it can be good to experiment with things like that. I'll just tell you what I found. Once you start writing things down, you start thinking of more things. <laughs> it's like you kind of gave your mind... The mind is like so sensitive to like what you give it, what you allow it to do. And once you start writing things down, it's like every time you think you'll be writing. This is just my experience. So what I've come to over time to do is just to trust the kind of, that what I need to remember, I'll remember. And what I'm not ready to remember, I won't remember. Because really, if you're not really ready for one of the insights that you have, even if you write it down, when you look at it later, it'll just be like, hmm. <laughs> you know, it won't really, but if it's ready, you know. And so in a way, I think the more valuable thing is really just cultivating this kind of presence of mind, really cultivating that, because that's the reliable thing. That's what will allow you more perspective all the, more of the time. I notice how I edit it out all the time. <laughs> More of the time, you know. So I, I think it can be a little bit of a... You can kind of miss the more important thing if you spend a lot of your time writing down all the things you realize. You know, because in a way the most, more important thing is, well, what's happening right now? And now, and now. And starting to get entrained in this way of being that will then carry over, hopefully, in practice and just through momentum into your work life and your daily life where, of course, we need to think a lot. And like you were saying earlier, thinking's not a problem. It's just that it's a wonderful servant and a terrible master. Thank you. And okay. uh, in addition to repetition, uh-huh. is there anything in particular you do to cultivate that trust? Because uh-huh. that's, um, yeah, I'd like to cultivate more of that trust. Trust. Yeah, and um, yeah, that's um, that's very useful, you know. That even trust in our own mind, you know, trust in our own being. Um, yeah, then there's kind of a settledness that comes with that, a lack of, you know rushing and searching and needing to go outside for completion, you know. So, thank you. It's on, I think. You can just talk into it. Um, this is a question about working with strong, unpleasant states. Uh-huh. Um, last week, I had like four or five days of being uh, feeling gripped by anger in uh-huh. a sense that I've never have quite like that before. And uh-huh. I, why arose and, you know, conditions and stuff. That's kind of important. But more important was just, you know, how, 
it's pretty hard to be skillfully working with that when it, it feels like a grip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, um, and I used, tried different things like movement, meditation, activity, removing myself. I, I can't lock myself in the house for four days because I don't live alone. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's, I was just wondering what your reflections are on working with a state when it feels like it's really got a hold of you. Mm-hmm. It's really attached. Yeah. Or I'm attached. <laughs> right. But or I don't think I am because I'm really suffering and I know it and I say I don't want yeah. to feel this way. Sure, but yeah. It's it, when sometimes an emotion grips you feels like that you know you're just you're in it you know and you know anger it's good to pay attention to anger sometimes it's a you know information you know like information that maybe you should you need to do something sometimes it's not sometimes it's just you're just pissed off (laughs) you know about the way somebody is and they you can't change them or whatever Sometimes it's good just to pay, I just want to say this before I talk about how to work with it as just the state. Sometimes it's a pointer. Sometimes you feel really angry and it's actually energy that's manifesting and, and it's, there's something you need to do. So that's good to pay attention to too. Like you need to say no to somebody or you need to set a limit or you need to, you know, so that's just one aspect of it. But usually when you're really gripped with anger, it's hard to do any of that because we're too worked up too angry. And anything we do has this quality of like, you know, you've got your bazooka gun. You just, you know, if you say anything to anybody in that state, it's just so reactive. And so first thing is what is anger? Energy. So the practice is really about starting to get familiar with these states, yeah? Letting ourselves feel them more. So where is anger in your body? You know, what are you feeling in your hands? What are you feeling in your belly? What are you feeling in your back? You know, what are you feeling in your... So how is it moving? It's, anger has a lot of movement in it, right? So this energy, it's like a storm. How can you... And I have to act these out things out because that's the way I experience them. They're very bodily. How can you let it be in you and make room for it? How can you kind of wrap it and let it move in you? You know, it's just experiencing it as energy. Here we're coming out of the story. We're coming out of. I'm assuming you've are, you've are either know you're going to or you've attended to what needs to be attending to. But here, you're just feeling anger. And at first that could feel really scary, you know. We stay away from our anger f- for a lot of reasons. And one is because we're not sure that if we feel it, we won't kill everybody, <laughs> you know. Or do something terrible that we'll regret, or hurt somebody, you know. So we're scared of really feeling our anger. So... But this is a mindfulness. You're, you're bringing mindfulness to it. Not mindfulness with a telescope from 10 miles away, like, oh, there's anger over there. Not that. This is you're feeling it in the body. Like, okay. Letting it move, noticing what the mind does, coming back to it. We can actually, you can metabolize emotions, whatever they are. And here we're talking about anger. But it takes practice. And it involves allowing it. The opposite of what we normally do, which is, no way, you know. 
allowing it in, feeling it. I've done this a lot, you know. You teach meditation, you get angry. <laughs> yeah. This, if, so, but it's, it's what you do with it that matters. You know, what's your relationship to it? Um, and there's a lot of energy in anger that you can use. It's yours to use once you learn how to metabolize it, let it be in your system. There's a lot of you know, said in some of the teachings that anger transforms into discriminating wisdom. Yeah, Because there's a lot of that kind of clarity and directness, as long as when we're not totally reactive. Yeah? So this is a practice of allowing this energy. And when you're on your own, you go for a walk, rather than trying to get away from it, feel it. Let it be full in you. There can still be clarity when real anger is present. Is when we're pushing it away or reacting to it, then we're kind of, and usually what happens, it comes out the back door. Right? It, comes, it leaks out in some weird way. Passive comments or whatever. So this kind of... Um, <laughs> is that helpful? Yeah. Uh, I, when it was going on, I constantly was naming it and sitting with it mm-hmm. and l- allowing it. Uh-huh. Um, but it amazed me how long it took to come out of my... It's like cellular to come out. Yeah. It took like four or five days, uh-huh. which was... Is hard because I, there's that shutting down of the heart. There's a feeling of being unkind, right. and that's the part where I'd like to just be able to close the door and stay away from other people. Well, it's going because it felt so cellular, like it. Yeah. It just took time to get it out. Yeah, and sometimes that's true. It takes time, and what I found is that the more we can allow it, actually, there's sort of levels of allowing. One is just like, okay, I'm angry, I feel it, you know, but that could be a little distant but this really allowing it in your system. And you can play with that. How could I allow it more? You know, and I'm just, I'm kind of like invoking it. As I talk about it, I can feel it in my hands, you know. Like, <laughs> you know, <you're> angry. <laughs> but that's, it's like allowing it more as an energy there. Yeah, I mean, it feels volcanic. Volca- yeah, so you can play with that too. You can play with letting the volcano be big. You know, you could let it, maybe it's too big for your body. You could let it fill the room. You know, you could let it fill the sky. Let that energy of anger fill the whole sky. So, and let the fantasies become as crazy as they want. You know, but you're making room for this. Awareness is infinitely vast, so it can get as big as it wants to get. You know, but in a way, it's when it's crammed into a little space and kind of held, then it's it gets very kind of bouncing off the walls, you know. But you can also just hold it, have it in your body and let it, let it be running, you know. Um, and actually, the, and it's a practice, you know. It's not like you should be able to, but it can run very quickly. Like, eventually. At, at times I experience this. Not all the time. <laughs> at times, it can move through in a matter of minutes. Even less. It can almost be momentary at times, but it has to do with that allowing. Uh, and it's just worthy to play with again and to practice with over time because in a way we're slowly increase our capacity to be with all these states. And let it be slow. 
You know, it's like you don't, we don't learn anything all at once. But if this is something for you, and usually maybe there's some emotion or something that's kind of very present for us, then it's a really worthy thing to practice with a lot. Like a Dharma doorway. So um, maybe one one more, just because. This kind of is part of what she's talking about, the anger and mm-hmm. going on for days. Having the, abil- or having the benefit of having everyone in this room and you, what kind of guidance or practice can one use with this meditation and that to lower high blood pressure? That's caused from thoughts, doubts, all the terrible monsters that come up that you let run with you for mm-hmm. a period of time so that now you can feel heart, chest pains and you can feel mm-hmm. the results of those thoughts. I mean, the short answer is I don't know. I don't, I'm not a scientist. I don't know much about... I know there have been a lot of studies about blood pressure and meditation, but that's not my area, so I really don't know. But my guess would be that just the practice itself, since it causes more ease and more relaxation in the flow of experience, I would imagine that it would maybe have some beneficial effect on blood pressure, which has a lot to do with stress, right? So as you lower your stress, I imagine that that might have some effect. But I'm outside of my, uh, what do they call that? My, my, My realm, my area of expertise. In terms of the science of it, I don't know. Um, okay. So, um, so we're going to have a, a walking period for about a, a half an hour, and then we'll come back, and I'm going to give a more formal talk, um, and uh, then we'll see what happens next.